Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A developer plans to build a large luxury home and commercial development on scenic agricultural land in the Colorado River floodplain just outside Moab. A residence group, as a part of a groundswell of local opposition, has formed to oppose that development. This conflict is highlighting issues of land use, legislative influence, community rights, environmental stewardship, and socioeconomic impacts that many communities across the West are facing. We're going to uh, do a deep dive on the program uh, today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Laura Long, who's one of the leaders of Cane Creek Watch, a group that's formed to oppose this project. We'll also be talking with Bill Love, who's a prominent local uh, governor uh, watchdog and tireless uh, public interest researcher. Uh, right now, we bring in, uh, for the hour, as my co-host for the program uh, today, Molly Marcello, who's news director at KZMU Radio in Moab. Molly, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Tom, for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is an interesting, important uh, topic. Um, we also have uh, with us uh, here in this first part of the program, Sophia Fisher, who's covering this story for the Moab Times Independent and the Salt Lake Tribune. Sophia, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, joining us in the first half as well is John Kovash. Uh, you've heard John Kovash here on Utah Public Radio with some uh, uh, segments, some things he's produced. Um John, how would you describe yourself? Long-time radio guy? That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Moab, Moab resident, right? Concerned about all of this? Uh, yeah, I've been here uh, 24 years now. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's start with Sophia. Um, you've been covering this for the, the Moab Times Independent Salt Lake Tribune, as, as I mentioned. Uh, just tell us briefly... Uh, maybe set the scene for us. Uh, where is this area that's uh, that's going to be developed unless this group can stop it? And um, it sounds like this is not just any uh, piece of land. This is important to locals. Yeah, absolutely. The proposed development is along Cane Creek Boulevard, uh, downstream of Moab, along the banks of the Colorado River. Um, it's also southwest of Moab by Cardinal Direction. It's only a mile or two out of town. Um, it's a recreation artery that's near and dear to many Moab residents. It leads to very popular um, off-roading trails, biking trails, hiking trails, um, backcountry wilderness. And it's also across the river from a uh, beloved climbing area called Wall Street. The property in question is about 180 acres comprised. That's kind of bisected, actually, by King Creek Boulevard. It's comprised of lowlands that lie directly adjacent to the Colorado River and then also mesas on the other side of the road that are a little bit higher. Uh, John uh, Kovash, uh, maybe to get your perspective on this one, um, I'm reading the Salt Tribune story from uh, Sophia Fisher. And uh, in one of the hearings, one of the residents uh, says this is so prized because it's so close to Moab, but, but you feel like you're in a, in a place of solitude when you go into this canyon. Uh, anybody who's been there knows uh, knows what a special place it is, and you know, and especially you know, one of the few that hasn't been, you know, all developed out near town. You know, uh, it, it's a very, very special place, and everyone knows that when you go to Moab, uh, turn off Main Street at McDonald's, and you're on your way to Cane. <laughs> you're on your way to Cane Creek, and it's just yeah, uh, it, it's. You know, and it's, uh, 
you know the 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 uh, uproar that it's caused here is just uh, unprecedented uh, you know i think that speaks for people's feelings about it um so we should note that we did uh, reach out to developers um and uh, didn't hear back so we did try to get their voice uh speaking of which and, I'll, and then i'll turn it over for a couple of questions to molly uh sophia uh, what are developers saying they're uh, i'm sure they're defending uh their this, this proposed development Yes, absolutely. So the three developers in question uh, form the group uh, Cane Creek Preservation and Development, and their names are um, Trent Arnold, Tom Gottlieb, and Craig Weston. Um, and they've said that the land has actually been previously, so it's, it's private property, and they said that um, it had been abused under previous land uses, previous owners, and had been, you know, steamrolled and cleared out and, and used for agriculture and, and grazing and dynamited in, in some cases, and that their proposal would actually help to restore a lot of the land to a better kind of ecological state. Um, there's also the fact that most of the land is has actually been given the county's most lenient zoning, highway commercial, and this plan, which would construct up to about 580 residential and overnight accommodations units and up to 72,000 square feet of commercial space, actually is only about a quarter of the area's allowable density. If they were to build it out to the allowed density, they'd be able to construct something more like 2,400 units. So I think a big you know, part of their argument for the community is, hey, look, this is actually much lower density than what could legally be built on this property. Hmm. Uh, Molly Marcello, did maybe you have a couple questions for uh, for Sophia and John? Yeah, you know, uh, for both of them, I'm hoping you two can talk a little bit about the history of this development, the somewhat recent history. Last year, Sophia, you did a lot of reporting around the King Creek Improvement District, which allowed this development to sort of move forward and uh, break ground. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about that? Absolutely. The improvement district was created to provide uh, wastewater treatment to the area. You know, they had to go through kind of a formal legal process of asking if Grand County would be willing to do it, and Grand County declined. So the next step is to kind of develop their own system and to develop this improvement district to oversee the wastewater treatment system. Um, now, back in, I want to say, late, it was fall of 2022, the Grand County Commission was in charge of kind of creating this board and opted to create, if I remember correctly, a, com a board composed entirely of the county commission. Um, however, it was something like a year later, and I hadn't heard more news of it, so I looked into it a little bit. And it turns out that the improvement district, I think it's King Springs Improvement District, um, had been formed a, a few months prior, um, but it was composed entirely of uh, the, the developers, the property owners, not you know any local officials. And it turns out there had been a bill passed in the 2023 legislative session at HB 22, if I remember correctly, that basically allowed um, a very narrow swath of improvement districts or special service districts, you know, kind of tailored actually to this situation in which the district had not met for like 100 days after incorporation. It was allowed to be converted to a developer-only district, and actually county commissioners were specifically barred um, from holding positions on that district. So thank you so much for that reporting on that. I think opened up a lot of discussion around this development and um, 2023 and fall of 2023. Um, John, what do you make of that um, related to the state's uh, state lawmakers' influence on this local development? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I mean, I, I could I could go on a 
on a little, you know, I could go on a bit on that, and I don't know if, if Tom's ready for that, uh, but in that specific instance, it's also, uh, this was a typical situation where the attorney for the developers actually asked the commissioners not to meet, you know, because we're getting, you know, we're getting our stuff together and we just want you to cool it and not meet. And then the state law that they that they got passed that just helped them uh, said uh, said we're you know we're doing this because they never met. Uh, so it, it's just uh, you know it just seemed like a pretty bad faith to a lot of people. Uh, John, uh, just to follow up there. Um... Uh, I understand that uh, Senator Bramble's bill, which set this up, um, it appears to be tailored just specifically for this for this development. Right, and, and you know he's one of the uh, he's done this in the past. You know he uh, you know he uh, passed a bill that was aimed just at our our attempts to control uh, impacts from ATVs here. Uh, you know he he's. Uh, uh, he's probably the the uh, the one the one legislator that targets us the most, and and uh, you know uh, you know with bills that li- literally just affect Moab. Um, I want to ask uh, Sophia. This is in your uh, Salt Lake Tribune story. Um, one of the the people this this meeting and, and by you you, you describe this a hundred people showed up uh, about half of them were able to be in the room so <laughs> people spilling out in the hallway uh, this has touched a nerve in Moab it sounds like uh, one of the people said uh, they were concerned that this development is not just for the rich but the uber uber rich and they're concerned that this is going to turn the tide Moab's going to turn into Aspen or or uh, Sedona I think they mentioned. Yeah, I think a lot of the rhetoric and opposition uh, locally to this development has centered around this notion of kind of a tipping point for the for town. You know, we have seen more and more second homes, more and more um, Airbnbs in our community, and there are other kind of high profile, um, kind of high cost developments that are also happening right now, such as like the Lions Back Resort, for example. So I think people feel like this is just kind of another stepping stone uh, to unaffordability and to increasingly unavailable housing um, for folks who who work locally. Um, And to be clear, uh, developers haven't said how much the the units are going to cost. You know, Trent Arnold, the developer I've been speaking with the most, has said that he envisions all sorts of price points, but it doesn't seem like there are any plans to subsidize units, for example, for local workers. I was reading that is the medium house is 600,000. Did I read that right? Something like that. Yeah, Yeah, numbers have. Yeah, they've like doubled since 2015 or so. It's, It's quite astounding. Yeah. Uh, so you wrote an article, uh, so in the uh, Moab Times Independent, about um, housing stock in, in Moab. Could you tell me a little bit more about that uh, and a concern with uh, secondary homes? That they, that they, uh, at least a lot of people in Moab want you know, more homes for locals. Absolutely. Uh, according to recent data, I think from 2022, uh, a full third of homes within Grand County are taxed as secondary residences, um, not primary residences. So that's kind of a 
a pretty telling piece of data, I think. You know, I know that a lot of the development that's been happening downtown is for uh, condos that sell for like seven or eight hundred thousand uh, dollars, presumably, you know, for overnight rentals or for second homes. Um, we have seen the median um, home home value and sales price roughly double from 2015 to 2022, while at the same time, wages may be increased by like 30 percent or something like that, local wages, to be clear. Um, and there, there has been legislation enacted at the city and the county level to try to stem uh, the tide of, of second homes and whatnot, you know, new developments in certain zones, for example, in downtown Moab. If they're um, above a certain number of units, they need to restrict a certain number of units uh, for occupancy by local workers, not necessarily by income, but just folks who are employed locally. So there, you know, there has been an effort to retain affordable and available housing stock for locals as they've just seen it dwindle more and more since the pandemic. Before I turn it back over to Molly for a couple of questions, uh, John, I wanted to just kind of pull out, uh, and, and this is representative of, of things that are going on, you know, across the West. Um, and uh, this this seems like the plot of the television show Yellowstone. <laughs> uh, so I wonder if you talk about the kind of this broader stroke here. Um, th- th- this is going on all over. Well, the housing situation is certainly is. Uh, I mean, uh, as bad as it is in Moab, uh, you know, I I follow. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in Colorado, which I still follow, and and I know all the ski towns are in precisely the same boat. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, I think there are some efforts being made in Colorado that U- Utah hasn't gotten to yet. You know, and one thing that uh, that. Uh, that uh, I hate to see is that uh, you know we Moab used to have a lot of uh, a lot of mobile home parks and uh, and they're uh, rapidly disappearing uh, they're being leveled to make way for for new development and uh, you know it, it's uh, the uh, you know a lot of places have successfully organized tenants to buy their buy you know to condominiumize their their mobile home park and, and become owners and you know they've done they've done that successfully in some towns in in Colorado and I, I would dearly love to see that happen here but uh, it doesn't seem to be in the works. Uh, Molly Barcelo, uh, a couple of questions uh, from you next. Yes, you know I, I when you bring up this larger these larger issues related to housing and socioeconomic concerns you know i've been a reporter in moab for in and around the past 10 years and i wanted to get from sophia first and then john you know i i am hesitant to speak in hyperbole but this type of opposition to this development in to me is unprecedented in Moab and this is a quite engaged community especially when it comes to land use public lands um, development but I think it seems to me that the, the combined pressures that we've been mentioning have sort of incited um, a fierce opposition to um, any development along King Creek Boulevard in this uh, area we're talking about and I'm curious if, if Sophia and um, also John 
I think so. I've been a reporter in town uh, for less time than you, Molly, just the past couple of years. But certainly it was the most people I had ever seen um, attend a, a Grand County Commission meeting, you know, this one that happened in, in mid-January. Um, I know, you know, a whole group, King Creek Development Watch, has been formed. They have a petition that, last I heard, is probably higher now, had garnered like 14,000 signatures. You know, they have a legal team and a media team and, and kind of a um, pretty distinct organization. So it's certainly... You know, I think the the most engagement I've seen from the community on any single issue. And, and like you said, Moab is overall a very engaged community. So I think that's saying quite a lot. Yeah. John, you know, what do you think this, this type of, uh, you know, opposition can be pinned to? You know, what kind of pressures are we are we facing in, in Moab? Well, uh, you know, uh, like many uh, uh tourist towns in Moab and, and elsewhere, you know, we uh, have a lot of public land around us. And so it's, it's really, uh, you know, uh, developers are always looking for the choice of spots, pot, spots still available. And uh, uh, I think this caught everybody by surprise because uh, it's such a pristine area. You know, you, you hear, you frequently hear the comment that the, this 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 spot could be a, na- a national park material you know and i think people just as assumed for a long time uh, that, that it would stay that way and then it was it was quite quite the shock to find out in fairly short order that this was in the works you know and then for people to go out and actually see the bulldozers dozing in the trucks trucking uh and uh the wetlands filling up uh and uh you know the 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 mesa tops being scoured and and uh it's it's just quite the shock to to almost everybody uh that it would happen to this place of all places so uh you know it, it's uh there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hope that it can somehow be halted, but uh, you know, time I guess is going to tell. Uh, so, John, um, the, yeah, there, there is some sentiment um, that uh, I, at least I'd seen in Sophia's reporting. Uh, a couple people said, uh, "Yeah, I sympathize with you, folks. But it's too late for this one." Uh, Maybe we ought to keep an eye out for other uh, spots where, you know, head off uh, uh, future development. Do you think this one can be headed off? Well, you know, it's uh, there are so many factors right now. I mean, we, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people would love to see, like, the Nature Conservancy or somebody like that, a green buyer, step in. Uh, I've heard that they were actually approached by the Nature Conservancy, and, and they said they weren't interested. Uh, so, it, you know, it, the county would have to, they'd have to get a bit more aggressive than than they have been in the past. And, uh, you know, and, and part of the complication is that uh, they kind of miscreated the zoning back, in, uh, back uh, a few years back, uh, you know, and uh, so you know the uh, the lawyers are all scouring through this and, and just seeing you know what's possible. But uh, uh, it's 
you know, I, I don't I don't know if anyone has come up with a boy. This is the answer yet. Uh, Sophia, um, tell me a little bit more about this uh, this zoning. Uh, people are characterizing it as a mistake. It was sloppily done, I guess, and that developers are taking advantage of, of, of a loophole, they say? Um, yeah, I can't speak to a, a loophole necessarily, but I do know that there seem to be contradictory and, and a kind of murky trail of documents surrounding a 1992 rezone of much of this property. So the, the property overall is 180 acres, and uh, back in 1992, property owners, uh, Charlie and Lucy Nelson, uh, came to the Grand County Planning Commission and County Commission to rezone part of the property to a commercial zone. It had all been a grazing zone in order to build a campground. Um, now, many documents, you know, minutes and, and meeting agendas and everything point to the rezone being requested for only 10 acres. Um, however, in the actual legal ordinance that was signed and approved by the county commission that year, the land described in the rezone is more like 115 acres. So, you know, more than an order of magnitude greater than what seemed to have been requested. And, you know, even at 115 acres also uh, appears to be uh, contradictory to the modern zoning of the parcel, which um, I believe when developers vested, it was considered to be about 140 acres of highway commercial compared to just 40 acres of range and grazing. So there are several different understandings of what may have been intended to be the zone on this property and then what actually legally is or has been the zone on this property. Um, I think there are a lot of unanswered questions, and the county has said that they're looking into this and trying to better understand this. Um, but to me personally, it's unclear whether that will have any impact on the development. You know, I think once folks vest and kind of file their initial planning documents, they're generally allowed to retain whatever land use regulations were in existence at the time they vested. So I personally think it's questionable whether or not um, this could change anything for the development moving forward. Molly Marcello, another question perhaps here at the end. We'll, um, we'll, after this, we'll make a transition. We'll take a break and then uh, say goodbye to Sophia and, and John and bring in Laura and, and Bill. Uh, any uh, a last question here for, for these guests? Sure. You know, um, one of the things that you, you just made me think of, Sophia, is that, you know, there might be another site when it comes to a potential road expansion along King Creek um, Boulevard. Is that is that right? Like, there's a, a question about expanding that road, and it's uh, roughly across the street from um, a prized panel of petroglyphs, um, the Moonflower Canyon panel. Yes, uh, this actually relates to some reporting I'm working on for the next couple of weeks. Um, the county has said that once they reach about half build out or 280 units uh, or about 2,000 average daily trips along Cane Creek Boulevard, the road will need to be expanded to a minor collector standard, which is something like 50 feet. I mean, it would, it would greatly expand the road right now for, you know, folks who haven't driven down Cane Creek Boulevard. It is extremely narrow and potholes in a lot of places. And there's, you know, you're kind of stuck between cliff on one side and river on the other side. And um, so I think there are a lot of questions and concerns about whether that would require blasting into cliffs that hold petroglyphs right now. Um, of course, I think, you know, federal agencies, I'm sure, would be involved before anything like that happened. But that's definitely an issue I'll be looking into more. Wonderful. I look forward to that reporting. Thanks. Um, uh, John, any, any last uh, comments here uh, at the end of the segment? Oh, I just... Uh wanted to mention a story we ran on uh, KZMU last week uh, revealed for the first time that uh, 
the the Cane Creek developers have been uh, donating uh, highly substantial amounts of money to the local Republican Party, uh, and uh, and uh, very prominent uh, state lawmakers, including the governor, the the uh, the president of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, each uh, all kicking in thousand dollar donations to the local. Uh, uh, to the local Republicans who now have amassed quite the war chest. Uh, and so that's another thing people are reacting to is not only the legislative influence, but just the, hard, the, the cold, hard cash influence that's happening from out of town to, you know, to, to move this stuff along. Well, uh, we've reached the end of this segment. Uh, so, uh, John Kovash, thank you so much for joining us in this segment. You're welcome. And uh, uh, Sophia Fisher, uh, who covers the story for the Moab Times Independent Salt Lake Tribune, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, Molly Marcello with uh, KZMU uh, Radio in Moab uh, will stay with me. Uh, Following a break, we'll bring on Laura Long, who's one of the leaders of Cane Creek Watch, um, and Bill Love, a prominent local government watchdog. Uh, We're talking about a... uh, Large luxury home and commercial development uh, is planned to be built on scenic agricultural land at the Colorado River floodplain just outside Moab. That uh, residence group is a, a part of a grand swell of local oppositions formed to oppose that development. That's what we're talking about on the program today. We'll have more following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A developer plans to build a large luxury home and commercial development on scenic agricultural land in the Colorado River floodplain just outside Moab. And a residence group, as part of a groundswell of local opposition, is formed to oppose that development. This conflict, of course, is highlighting issues of land use, legislative influence, community rights, environmental stewardship, and socioeconomic impacts that many communities across the West are facing. And uh, co-hosting with me this episode is Molly Marcello, uh, who is news director at uh, KZMU Radio in Moab. Uh, Molly, thanks for staying with us. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Uh, you bet. Uh, and we bring on for this half of the program, Laura Long, one of the leaders of Cane Creek Watch, group formed to oppose this project. Laura Long, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to have you with us. And Bill Love, a prominent uh, local government watchdog, uh, public interest researcher. Bill, uh, uh, thanks for joining us. Yes, yes, very good. Um, so I want to start with Laura. Um, uh, of course, these fights go on, uh, you know, across the West and, and, and certainly in Moab. This one, uh, this particular development seems to have, as I described in the open here, uh, produced a groundswell of local opposition. I think you got some 14,000 signatures recently. Uh, why do you think this one's hit a nerve? Well, I think there's so many... There's so many reasons to care about this. Uh, For me personally, I come from an outdoor recreation background, and um, this area is sort of in the middle of multiple different areas to recreate. You've got, you know, world-famous rock climbing across the river. You've got the river itself. Uh, there's, There's OHV trails. There's beautiful hiking trails and mountain biking trails, of course. There's petroglyphs, so there's archaeologists. It just it draws draws a bunch of different groups of people together, and um, yeah, actually, 
we right now we have seventeen thousand four hundred and eleven signatures on the petition. Okay, wow. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, seventeen yeah. above seventeen thousand. Uh, so before I go to, uh, to 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 Bill Love, um, I just want to. Um, restate that we did reach out to the developers uh didn't hear back so we wanted to get their voice but they they didn't respond um and uh if you'd like to respond to this program with your question or comment uh you can do so by email uh is the best way uh this hour and uh, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com upraxcess at gmail.com is the email upraxcess at uh, gmail.com um, so, Bill, I have uh, um, you know, many reasons to oppose and why you oppose this development. What uh, may, Maybe list the top couple that have you uh, especially concerned. The, my pr- primary concern has been in the floodplain, and FEMA has agreed to reevaluate the size of the 100-year flood and the size of the floodplain and the size of the channel that is necessary to handle a 100-year flood. Uh, this reevaluation will be done next fall, and it is based on FEMA using 100 years of data saying our 100 year flood is about 89,000, compared to a DOE study that was done when the, the uh, uranium pile was moved. And the DOC study found 34 floods uh, in the last 2,000 years, over 179,000. So FEMA is going to reevaluate it, and this will significantly change the conditional use permit that is currently under consideration by the county. Uh, Conditional use permits, you must have mitigation for problems, and they have no idea how high they have to raise the uh, uh, bottom now. They have no idea how wide the channel will be to handle the flood, and the county has not been advised yet. I've sent them the email from the FEMA that says they will do it. But FEMA, for some reason, has not come out with an official notification yet. And that is a concern, because we need to put everything on hold until this uh, reevaluation of the floodplain. This will affect the whole city of Moab, this reevaluation. This project is going to cost people in Moab City uh, insurances. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars of insurance that will be required if if FEMA significantly increases the uh, volume of a hundred-year flood. So that's what I have been working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and this area that it is right next to the river, isn't it? In the canyon next to the river. Um, so uh, it's, in the, it's in the river too. In the river too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, Molly Marcello had a question for our guests. Yeah, thanks. So King Creek Development Watch, Laura, is a group of dedicated citizens committed to preserving the unique beauty and ecological integrity of the Colorado River Corridor near Moab, um, which is what you say in your uh, mission. And you you outline a, a number of concerns that we just talked about flood risk. We talked about impacts on um, housing, um, but there's also a concern about impact on recreation and tourism. Um, do you mind speaking speaking to that piece? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's my background, and I I, I came to Moab uh, as a mountain bike guide, as a lot of people do. That. Um, they they fall in love with this place and they connect to it 
whether it's on the bike or on a raft or climbing the rocks. And it's a really special, unique place that doesn't have, you, you know, you've got Moab, you've got the valley, and then be, you have these awesome access roads. You can go out and go do your thing, whether it's on the river or you're climbing rocks. And you don't see condos. You don't see neighborhoods out there. That That's all in the valley. And that's why Moab is so awesome is because it's really unique in the sense that you can you can turn the corner on the uh, of going around the portal and you just feel this sense of remote. Um, and, and it's, yeah, I think, I think that's why a lot of people that I, the circles I run in are really concerned about um, the recreation aspect because that is a huge part of Moab's economy. And a lot of the people that live here understand that really well. There's a lot of people that come to visit Moab that understand that. Um, so, yeah, I think mm. it's a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to be said there for, um, you know, we, I think in Moab there's always that conversation about um, what keeps people visiting as well, um, what, pe- what keeps people coming back to our town and our, pub- our surrounding public lands. And uh, recreation is a, is a top top concern for for most folks yeah and the this sprawl it's just like that that's not the right spot for this development the the sprawl is what kills outdoor recreation like that's the whole point of outdoor recreation is is to be outside and away from the hustle and bustle and when you sprawl uh it just kind of defeats the purpose Uh, I want to ask you both. Um, uh, we talked about this in the the first segment. This interests me. Um, the character of the town, right? The character of the place, and 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 the character going into the future. Uh, one of the people at this uh, public meeting, where you had uh, you know hundred people or so, um, said uh, that they don't want Moab to turn into uh, Sedona. Um, I wonder, Laura Long, if you could uh, comment on that. What? Um, what uh, talk about the character of the town? What what you see is what you'd like to Moab to be in the future. Yeah, Moab is awesome. It's this community here is quirky and it's humble and it's it's a badass little outdoor rec community that you know the Sedonification issue. I actually lived in Sedona for a couple of winters and it's just harder to live like that it's harder to go outside and enjoy yourself on uh on the bicycle and um i think that it's just it's just not as easy to access like if i if i wanted to go live in sedona i could only do it temporarily i i have not as great a shot as uh i do here in moab to you know own a house and have a family someday um, and I think that is this development it would be like a slow death to from from turning Moab into something like Sedona. Um, and I personally, I live in Moab because I lived in Sedona, and the trails out there in Sedona are awesome. But Moab has the community character uh, that I would that I prefer because it's yeah, it's it's just easier to to live 
and be a human. And, um, yeah. Uh, Bill, I want to ask you the same question. What uh, what would you like Moab to look like out into the future? Well, I lived in Moab 30 years, and I moved, sold everything and moved out of Moab about 13 miles now at Pack Creek Ranch from Moab. Moab is pretty well unlivable due to noise. Uh, it's They stated that for Utah, in, in the wisdom of our legislature, required us to have rows of 10, 12, 13, 20 ATVs from uh, daylight to dark moving through the city. So where is it? It's already, for me, it's already been, it's gone. I had to get out. And uh, I have been concerned with water in the area for about 30 years now. And this is what primarily what I work on is uh, aquifer and west now on the flooding of the Colorado River uh, with FEMA. And also I'm trying to get you Umetra, the power moving people, because they will be affected if we have a large flood and they reduce the channel size involved in this issue. But uh, as far as what I want to see in Moab, I'm afraid it's lost. Mm. Uh, people do, don't come back because of noise. They don't come back because of trucks bulging pollution in our dinner plates as they try to sit outside. But I'm sorry, I had to leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm still in the area because it's beautiful once you get out of the city. It is beautiful. Uh, San Juan County will be our next problem, and we'll try to make that into a better place as mm-hmm. we move along. Oh, you, you think San Juan County is, is going to be facing these same problems? They will. Mm-hmm. They don't have water uh, at the moment. But they have two or three thousand acres of sitting land that they want to develop. So they will be facing the same. Well, they are right now. They're trying to put a huge development into a uh, uh, residential area. They're trying to put a truck stop in a residential area. So they're on the way, but they only have 500 acre feet out of a 5,000 acre foot uh, lot of uh, water right. So they'll have to go to the Colorado River to get water or an alternate source. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost millions and millions of dollars. It's going to be an interesting uh, next few years mm-hmm. where the state says we are very close to sustainable use on our aquifer at the moment. Uh, was bought five or six hundred uh, EOUs of water, and uh, that's not being currently used. So if we stop developing today, uh, we would still damage our aquifer due to cells that have not been used. But anyway, that is water is a subject you can go into for hours and hours. Yeah, here. yeah, certainly, very, very important. Uh, Molly Marcello, next next question for us. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, we're all sort of uh, speaking to um, a larger question, which we sort of mentioned at the top of this program. Um, but it's these outside pressures that um, lots of communities are. Excuse me. Are feeling in the West um, pressure um, for folks who have, you know, for example, work in the tourism industry um, or other um, service industries in our town, feeling like they can't afford to stay here anymore, or maybe they can afford to leave, or maybe they uh, leave because they can't um, afford uh, to be here anymore. And I think there's just this general. Um, you know, maybe low-grade anxiety around uh, the cost of living in Moab. And I'm curious, Laura, like, can you speak to that? I, I should say, though, that the developers have said that 
Um, this this development would bring more housing options to Moab at many different price points. We don't know what those are um, concretely. Um, so uh, will, will you address that housing and cost of living piece in relation to um, the West and also this development? Yeah. So that is a little misleading. They're, they've flipped. Yeah, the, the developers are saying one thing and then kind of going on another thing. So there was a Sotheby's brochure that was leaked, and uh, it, it was basically asking the future residents of the community whether or not they were going to basically Airbnb their home. And these are, these are like $1.5 million condos. Um, so hmm. this idea that they're kind of – it's social washing, and they're trying to say that they are going to put more houses into the market at various price points, and that'll help solve the problem. Um, but we've these guys don't have any experience actually making workforce housing, um, and that's a whole another thing. But they're in that same brochure. Um, their their quote like highly amenitized luxury community. Um, so, yeah, it's that part's really interesting because they are saying one thing and then completely doing another thing, which is not actually helping. Moab doesn't need any more luxury vacation homes. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I want to ask um, Bill Love about um, about you, you know you you tackle these water issues. Um, what if you could talk to the developers? I think they've developed their own private source of water. At least they, that's their plan. Uh, but but this could come if they don't get enough water. I guess this could come back to uh, city of Moab to have to provide water. The water they're using, they took three or four water rights and combined them into one. They have a very good lawyer. They right currently have a one water right with a well, uh, I'm trying to think, is it 300, 400 acre feet of water, and Colorado River. Otherwise, there's one water right. They can take water out of the river. They can try to find a well back from the river and... Uh, they can move the uh, 400 acre feet or so to that area. So they are very, they can move from the river to a well at any time. We have no idea. The USGS, I tried to check with them, and they have very little data if there's any well water in back of the river. We don't know. So water, they're pretty well organized, let's put it that way. They will cost money whatever direction they go. The cheapest, of course, would be a well. Moab City's water does not come from this area. Moab City's water comes from the uh, Glen Canyon Aquifer, which is a thousand feet above the valley in the mountains, go on up to the top of the mountains. Uh, so, Moab City, they does have water rights for the Colorado River, but they don't have the millions of dollars to process that water and to pump it uphill to where it's needed. 
So the uh, this water right, what they the water they will use will not affect us. It will affect, uh, say, Los Angeles and the people in California who want more, more water. Mm. But uh, the city or the county uh, is not going to be affected by them using this water. Okay. Uh, Molly Marcel, just a couple minutes left. Uh, last question, Fergus? Yeah, you know, I think there is always an assumption um, when it comes to development in our region in Moab um, that we can just pull from the Colorado River. Um, Bill, you know, what is any, any thoughts about that assumption or, um, you know, sort of attitude that that water will just be available to us in our region? I didn't understand the question. Oh, you know, the Colorado River is, uh, you know, uh, uh, folks in, you know, when we're talking about developing development and potential development in San Juan County and also other big developments in Moab and our region, I think there's, I've heard an assumption from local and also state lawmakers that we may be able to pull water from the Colorado River. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. This would be a question for Living Rivers more than me, because he's so deeply involved. <laughs> sure. They have the water right. Uh, GWSSA has the water right to use the river. Uh, I believe Moab City has a little bit. But pulling it out at the small scale that they're using is not going to affect the river. You're talking about pulling things, water out of the river, like the pipeline going into uh, St. George. Know, that raised the hackles of all the southern states. Uh, will they be able to do it? I have no idea if they can get through doing it. There was going to be some major, major moves on the river in the next 10 years or five years, and how they were going to be affected by that is anybody's guess. So they have the right to do it at the moment is all I can say, or they have a right to drill the well at the moment. Uh, I, if somebody steps in and sues them, I have no idea if that will happen or not. I can't forecast the future. Mm-hmm. But the amount they're using is fairly small. Uh, the, uh, okay. You've got other people looking at the river. You've got uh, San Juan County. Uh, they're 5,000-acre-foot water right. One of the alternate sources in that water right is the Colorado River. The question uh, here again, nobody has come up with the millions of dollars necessary to uh, do the processing or uh, even looking at it. I mean, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's a dead subject at the moment to use the Colorado River. Mm. Uh, you just got about 30 seconds left. I, I just want to ask very quickly, uh, Laura Long, you've got, um, got this group, uh, Cane Creek Development Watch, uh, org. Uh, just thirty seconds. Uh, what do you What do you want people to do? What What's the action you hope people will take? Yeah. So we are already paying some lawyers, um, and we are we have a crowdfunding campaign. So if you go to CaneCreekWatch.org, you can go on there and donate money. Right now, everybody is volunteering their time on uh, the Cane Creek Watch, and we are paying for lawyers so you'll you'll be updated if you follow us on instagram as well where your money is going um and that would be really really helpful for us right now okay all right great thanks so much we'll we'll be talking we've been talking with laura long she's one of the leaders of cane creek watch thank you so much thank you for having me you bet Uh, bill love uh local government watchdog bill thanks for joining us Oh, very good thank you and molly marcello with uh, kzmu uh, radio in moab thanks for joining us 
think so. And uh, this, of uh, course, we'll be keeping an eye on this uh, ongoing here in Moab. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll go out as we do on Thursdays with Leo T. and Skywatcher. Skywatcher Leo T. reporting. It's one sky, many cultures. The Varda Space Capsule returns to Earth with space-grown antiviral drug aboard the capsule from Varda Space Industries and NASA. The W-1 mission came in for a landing in, you guessed it, the northern Utah desert, as I produce this report on the afternoon of February 21st. Bringing with it to Earth crystals of an antiviral drug that were grown in orbit. Another discovery out in the void of space as physicists report that a newly discovered asteroid, asteroid 33 Paul Hymnia, is so dense that it could contain elements not yet seen on Earth. James Felton of IFL Science says that some asteroids are very dense, so dense in fact that they contain heavy elements outside of the periodic table. Scientists at the University of Arizona say they were motivated by this possibility of an object with density greater than osmium, the densest naturally occurring stable element on Earth. Polyhymnia is far denser than the mass density of a familiar atomic matter, and they got their wish as it also has an unknown composition. As we continue to dive into our solar system, after lunar surface explorations conducted by... Apollo missions from 1969 to 1972. It's been more than 50 years since the United States landed a spacecraft on the moon. Now a new robotic explorer is on its way to attempt the feat with a little bit of help of NASA. Intuitive Machines private Odysseus Moonlander is on track for February 22nd lunar landing again about when this program airs. The lunar lander developed by NASA and Houston-based Intuitive Machines hopes to land near the lunar south pole. Good luck. And way, way, way out in space, the brightest quasar ever seen by humans is powered by a black hole that eats a sun a day. The quasar is bright as 500 trillion suns. Whoa. Not only is it the brightest quasar ever logged, it's also the brightest astronomical object in general ever seen, at least by Earthlings. It's powered by the hungriest and fastest growing black hole ever seen as well, one that consumes the equivalent of over one sun's mass a day. The quasar is located so far from Earth that its light has taken 12 billion years to reach us. It's many cultures, one sky. The Pleiades cluster is not only a gem in the sky, but a sign to many cultures around the world, such as Inca descendants in the Peruvian highlands. Also their most important annual festival, the annual disappearance of the Pleiades, on the day of the first full moon following the reappearance after a 40-day absence in the sun's glare. Thousands undertake a journey to the high peaks to receive the first gleam of rising sun that brings with it a return to order and light. A story told to young women from the bush of Western Australia centers on Kunga Kungaranga, or the Seven Sisters. They are your relatives, says a girl's grandmother. They come from the same country as you and me. When the Aboriginal people speak of their country, they mean the land, the sky, and the emotional connection with everything around them. Long ago, in dream time, the Seven Sisters would come down the sky for a visit. They always land in the same spot on the hill where you still watch them today. Farmers in the high Andes also look to the Pleiades to predict the weather. So look up, look around, get a little bit lost in space and on our own world. Skywatcher Leo T.